Attack with the first pitch, a drive deep into right field, and it's gone! Cleveland shot for Asia as the Brewers put a crooked number on the board in the fourth. Way back, get up, get out of here, go! Rainbows high and deep, touchdown Wisconsin, and this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. The Brewers dodged the sweep this afternoon. They beat the Mariners 4-2, winning only one game in the three-game home series against a... Okay, a really bad Mariners team. I'll say it. I'll say it straight up. They're a bad team. A little bit disappointing the Brewers were only able to get that one win. But I, I I don't know about you. This is certainly the case for me. It doesn't really matter how bad the Brewers are playing. doesn't matter how bad of a series they're having. But if they win the final game of the series, I always feel just a little bit better. A little bit more optimistic. Have a little bit more energy when talking about uh, said series when we come on the show, right? I don't know about you. If they get swept, man, God, I, I'm upset I'm frustrated, I'm in a horrible mood, and I might just want to talk about something else today. But they were able to salvage that final game, and to me, that makes kind of a big difference. I don't know, it changes my outlook on everything. Brewers win today 4-2. They lost last night by that same score, uh, except obviously flipped the teams, uh, only able to win one against the Mariners. And today, it helps when you get a productive start, a good start. Now, we're not going to say a quality start. Chase Anderson didn't have a quality start today, which, of course, is that magic number six innings. Three or less earned runs. Well, today, Chase Anderson did one of those things. He only allowed one earned run, but he went five and one-third, which, if we're being honest, yeah, it's not a quality start, but by the letter of the law at least, but it's way better than what they've been getting. And of course, of course, of course Chase Anderson is going to be the guy to finally give you a decent start. The last guy you'd expect. The guy who who was never supposed to be part of the starting rotation, was supposed to be holed up in the bullpen, used in middle relief. Of course, he is the guy who who finally puts the foot or, or the cleat down uh, on the mound and says, no, I'm going five-plus innings today. I'm not allowing a large handful of runs. I think the biggest part of this game was the Brewers made it out of the first and the second inning without falling behind by a couple of runs. Right now, if Anderson's going to give up a couple of runs in the fourth or the fifth or the sixth, I can, I can deal with that. Okay? But what I can't deal with is constantly giving up a a two-spot or a three-spot in the top of the first and then allowing a run or two in the top of the second before the game even has time to breathe. That's something that I've noticed the last couple of games, even uh, the last week or two. I I turn the Brewer game on a couple of minutes late. Let's say it's a 7-10 start, right? And I open my laptop and pull up the stream at 7-20, 7.30, and they're already down three runs. I'm like, we we haven't even gotten started yet, right? The, the fans haven't even settled into their seats. The beers haven't even been cracked. People are just turning on the TVs, and the game already feels like it's over. Today, Chase Anderson, yeah, he gave up a couple of runs, one of which was earned, but he did so later on in the start. The Brewers didn't allow a run until the sixth inning. Kind of gave their offense some time to get their feet under him. They didn't put their offense in a corner right away. Uh, in the first, second inning, like we've seen the last couple of nights, and I think that's ultimately was one of the big differences today. Brewers win four to two. Somebody who had a great game today, and 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 I don't want to just turn this into a, a Brewers post game show. This is the Wisco Sports Show. We're going to cover a lot today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We have Packers talk coming up at five thirty. I don't mean to turn this into a post game show, but we did just wrap up the game, the post game show. I think wrapping up at about four fifteen here on WKTY. Something that big that, that jumped out to me today was Eric Thames. 
And we've talked a lot about the struggles of Travis Shaw. And we've talked about the struggles of Jesus Aguilar. And, and we've kind of lumped that into, well, the corner positions of the infield are struggling. Two positions where you're supposed to get a lot of power, a lot of run production, right? Third base, first base. And the Brewers have really struggled there. And, and I think Eric Thames has kind of gotten lumped into that group. And I've actually been quite negative about Eric Thames uh, in the past year or two. Because remember, when Eric Thames was brought in a couple of years ago, it, it was kind of a flyer. It was kind of a fun, well, we'll bring him in. Let's see what he's able to do. We're rebuilding right now. We need something. We need some kind of juice. We need some kind of entertainment. Let's bring this guy in who's, who is friendly, who is likable, who's been uh, worshipped in Korea, in Korean baseball, right? Let's bring him in. What the hell? And, and he's still here after Jesus Aguilar merged last year, and Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich were brought in through free agency and through a trade. And since Josh Hader and that bullpen has emerged, right? Eric Thames is kind of that last man standing from where the Brewers were before they started to be competitive. Look, Eric Thames is, is kind of, because of that, I think he's kind of in a weird spot, right? If the Brewers could go back and, and, and put together a team again and, and do so this year, I don't know if Eric Thames would be a part of it. And, and I got to give Eric Thames a lot of credit. He's not a guy who does well in pinch hitting situations, right? That's why we saw such limited action from him late in the season and, and none in the postseason last year. Instead, guys like Domingo Santana, Curtis Granderson. He's a guy who kind of needs some quantity. He needs a lot of at-bats because he's a home run hitter. He hits home runs and he strikes out. Well, today, it just in a, in a spot start, it's been him, it's been Jesus Aguilar, it's been Grandal at first base today. Eric Thames is very good. He had two doubles. He was the first batter, if I remember correctly, was he the first runner to score a run today? That that squeeze uh, that the Chase Anderson laid down? Maybe, maybe not. Anyways, Eric Thames getting on base today. Uh, his final line today: four at bats, uh, one run scored, two hits. He was good today. I, I I think the Brewers might have an option there to give Eric Thames more starts and be comfortable with Grandal at catcher. And I don't know what Jesus Aguilar's role is, but Eric Thames looked good today. Yeah, that almost was kind of a feel good moment. I I've been kind of negative about Eric Thames. I've been kind of down on him because he's in kind of an awkward spot. The type of ball player he is doesn't really fit what the Brewers are looking for right now. Nonetheless, though, a good day today and and, and maybe an option the Brewers have moving forward uh, given the struggles of Jesus Aguilar. Last night, the Brewers lost, like I said, 4-2. to two. And was I right or was I right about Adrian Hauser? I, I said earlier this week, I believe it was Monday, Adrian Hauser going to make a spot start on, on Wednesday night. And I said, I'm worried because everything the Brewers have plucked from the bullpen and tried to put into the starting rotation, it's been a crash and burn. Every player they've tried to bring up from the minors, minus Brandon Woodruff, and pluck into that starting rotation has been a crash and burn. Every transition the Brewers have made from anywhere into the starting rotation has gone poorly. The starting rotation is, is where good pitchers have gone to die recently. And I said, damn, I, they're going to ruin Adrian Hauser. He's got a good thing going in the bullpen. Don't put him in the starting rotation because something will go wrong. And that's what happened. Uh, last night, the Brewers just couldn't score. Adrian Hauser only going a couple of innings. Didn't give up a ton of runs, right? I think if you only give up four runs, that's a winnable game. Craig Council saying as much last night. We needed to score runs. The Brewers weren't able to win last night. Just couldn't push runs across. Two runs. One was a solo shot and the other was an inside the park home run by Ben Gamble. A very winnable game last night. The Brewers just couldn't push runs across uh, aside from Adrian Hauser's short and ineffective start, right? So the Brewers have had a, a rough stretch of games here. Uh, the Brewers right now in their last 10 are 3-7. and seven. Now, luckily for the Brewers, the Cubs have been pretty poor as well. Now, unfortunately, the Cubs beat the Braves today, so the Brewers only able to keep pace. They're one game back. The Cubs... 
five and five in their last ten, as are the Cardinals. So nobody really jumping up and down and playing really well, trying to grab a hold of this division. The Cincinnati Reds have actually been okay. The Pittsburgh Pirates have actually been okay uh, in the last ten games or so. In the last two weeks, they sit at five and six and a half back, respectively. So there's your NL Central. The Brewers. Not taking advantage of a softer portion of their schedule, really going through a slide right now. I look like again. I I know they won today, but the tail end of of a really bad stretch of games. Hopefully, that is the tail end of a stretch of losing a lot of games. Not able to capitalize on the Cubs struggling and the Cardinals struggling as well. So really, it's as close as close can get. The Brewers only one game behind the Cardinals, three games behind. You would have liked to see them win a couple of more games against these more difficult teams. When Chicago's struggling, look, I'm not saying the Brewers should should try to gap them in this division, try to run away with it. No, but I, as I had a caller astutely point out last week, every game you win now is a game that you don't have to win later. Or, inversely, it's a game that later on in the season, you don't have to be sitting at home saying, God, we need the Cubs to lose today. Kind of keep things under your own control. You're in control of your own destiny. That's the expression, right? When you don't need to ask for help, when you don't need the Cubs to lose, I just hope that's not the situation the Brewers find themselves in come August and September, knowing that they lot of left a meat, lot uh, left a lot of meat on the bone uh, in late June. That's probably where mind is going to uh, return. That's that's the the point where we're going to return to and say, man, if they just would have taken care of business there, they'd be in a better spot come the end of the season and come the postseason race. Rough last uh, stretch of games for the Brewers, but still right there. I want to continue talking about the Brewers. Packers talk with at 5.30. Andy Herman is going to join us. Uh, he owns and hosts the Pack a Day podcast. He writes for Cheesehead TVs, an analyst for Green Bay Nation. He's doing a ton of different things, and I've been wanting to get him on for a while. We're lucky to finally have him. He'll join us at 5.30 to talk just a bunch of different things. I want to hit on a bunch of different points all throughout the offseason so far, so I'm excited for that. Coming up next, I want to continue the Brewers talk. The Brewers have problems right now. They have a lot of problems. Starting rotation's bad, the offense is bad, the bullpen has been bad, but just because a team has multiple problems, that doesn't mean you should ignore solutions to problems, right? You can't say, well, here's how to fix the offense, and then turn around and say, well, it's more than just the offense, it's the pitching, it's the bullpen. Well, no, if there's a solution to one problem, let's fix it, regardless of what else and what other struggles this Brewers team is facing. I think there is a a good fix for one of their problems right now, and I think it's being ignored because the Brewers are struggling in so many other facets of the game of baseball right now as well. I'll explain more when we come back. I want to talk more Brewers. Coming up next, this is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports. You're listening to WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out tuning in. Hope you're having a good day. We got to enjoy a Brewers win. That'll always lift my mood, and I know they lost two or three. I know it's been a rough stretch, but anytime you can end on a good note, that always makes my attitude a little bit better. Always a little bit more positive. If you're feeling positive or negative, doesn't matter. I want to hear from you. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. You can also reach me on Twitter, my account at Grant, and then all of us here uh, at the station at WKTY. Lots of ways to uh, to check in. I know the Brewers have lots of problems right now. Their starting pitching's been bad. Their offense has been incapable of scoring runs. And their bullpen has been at fault sometimes. Like I don't think there's one place you can point the finger uh, for this recent run of Brewers. Uh, I don't want to say failure, but I guess lack of success, lack of winning. Just because there's multiple problems doesn't mean you can't address one. Right, that that's how you fix a huge problem, little by little, right, one piece at a time, right. So last night the Brewers lose four to two, 
The offense just couldn't get runs across the board. One solo shot home run and then one inside the park home run from Ben Gamble. That was it. That was the only scoring the Brewers were able to muster last night against a Seattle team that's really not all that good. And they make a lot of errors in the field. So, of course, the Brewers don't put the ball in play. They just jack home runs, uh, true to form, uh, for a Milwaukee Brewers team. Last night, they couldn't score. And then Craig Housel, after the game, in his press conference, and I'm, I'm watching, hearing what he has to say, saying, look, we only gave up four runs. Our offense has got to be able to, to get four or five runs across to win a game. And I would agree, right? Especially given that this team invested in Moustakis, in Yasmani Grandal, right? This is an offensive-centered baseball team. They not, they now, like I said yesterday, they didn't, they didn't neglect their starting pitching. They thought they had a good plan. Some things went south. That happens. I don't know if you can blame anyone for that. But they didn't spend money on pitching. They didn't make trades for pitching, right? In the last two years, they've acquired Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal. They have been stocking up bats, stocking up power-hitting bats top to bottom through this lineup. They're an offensive team, and I, I agree. Sometimes you got to score five runs to win a game. I thought Craig Council hit it right on the head last night. Craig Council saying, man, the offense needs to score some runs. Need to, it needs to score four or five runs. We got to be able to do that. I agree. The problem is you're running out a sinkhole in Travis Shaw, a sinkhole in Jesus Aguilar. Lorenzo Cain's not seeing the ball well right now. He was hitting sixth today, which just felt weird. Now, Ryan Braun's got it going. Christian Yelich is excellent, of course. Mike Moustakas has calmed down a little bit. And, and outside of that, it, it's just kind of an average ball club. And it certainly doesn't help that Lorenzo Cain is not seeing the ball well. He's working through that injury, obviously. This Brewers team has not been scoring runs on top of the fact that Keston Hero remains in the minor leagues. Now, I tweeted out yesterday that I, I was basically yesterday's show. Keston Hero was a, a theme that was kind of mentioned a couple of times throughout the hour. Said he needs to be on this team. He absolutely needs to be on this Brewers team. And, and funny enough, one of our very astute, uh, very bright listeners tweeted back at me. I tweeted yesterday... Uh, well, first of all, I quote tweeted a tweet from Kurt Hogg from the Journal Sentinel. And he was talking about Aaron Perez. Said Perez in the lineup tonight, he is hitting 143 with one extra base hit in his 40 plate appearances since Keston Hero was sent down. That's not optimal for the Brewers, especially considering they have a mashing right-handed bat right now in AAA. I quote tweeted that and said, I'm going to complain about this for about 45 minutes of the Wisco Sports Show today. Tune in, right? Just kind of uh, letting our listeners know, at least our listeners on Twitter, what we're, what we're going to be talking about. And one of our, our, our listeners, James, tweets back at me and says, hitting isn't the problem, it's the starting pitching. And I tweeted back, I said, James, they've both been problems. But just because their starting pitching has been bad doesn't mean the Brewers can't address the offense, right? Just because you have multiple problems doesn't mean you can't pick them off one at a time. Adding Keston here to this lineup right now would be a huge shot into the arm for this offense. In his last seven games, Keston Hira has 29 at-bats, 12 hits, two doubles, Three home runs, seven runs scored, seven RBIs, three walks, and he's uh, hitting 414 in the last seven games. That's in the last week. Now, his season's tremendous as well. It's not just a hot streak. Uh, over the, the course of the 57 games so far in the minors, he's hitting 329. Okay? 16 doubles, a triple, 19 home runs. He's been tremendous. But he has been especially hot in the last week, and I am getting sick and tired of seeing these highlights, seeing these these slash lines night after night of Keston here just playing tremendous ball while watching this Brewers offense scuffle to only get two runs across the plate and losing 4-2, to two, and then their manager saying, we got to score runs. we we got to be able to score more runs. Well, yeah, that's why you should bring up Keston Hira. That's why we should stop messing around. It's June 27th. It's going to be July in a couple of days, and it's going to be the all-star break, and we're going to be sit, 
sitting here saying, well, where did the season go? Well, we wasted it trying to get Travis Shaw and Jesus Aguilar going. Craig Council was asked yesterday, this video was posted by Adam McKelvey, uh, MLB.com, Brewers.com, and he asks the question that basically everybody wants to know the answer to, and that's why, why is Keston Hira still in the minors? This is what Craig Council had to say. We're trying to get players that have had major impact on our team going. Um, and um, it's no, I think we're we're, we're getting there. We got these guys got to get going. There's no question about it. We're get, trying to get a player going who's who was an All Star last year with 35 home runs and drove in 108 runs. A player who's hit 30 home runs two years in a row. Um, those are impact impact players and um, players that we need. All the answers are not outside. The answers have to be found within us. Craig Council talking about why Keston here is down there because he wants to get Travis Shaw, Jesus Aguilar going. He wants it to be those guys who lead the Brewers to success because Jesus Aguilar was so good last year and Travis Shaw has hit 30 home runs in a couple of seasons now with the Brewers. And I get it, okay? I don't like it. It wouldn't be the way I handle it, but I understand where Craig Council is coming from. I don't like it, but I understand it. My problem is, Jesus Aguilar's not in the lineup. Travis Shaw wasn't in the lineup yesterday. I'm not keeping Keston Hira, who very well might be the best Brewers prospect since Ryan Braun, and that's other people's words, not mine, the best hitting prospect since Ryan Braun in the Brewers organization. I'm not keeping him in the minors so Jesus Aguilar can get 30 at-bats over an entire month because he pinch hits every other night. He's not starting. Eric Thames started today. Grandal's been playing at first base. Travis Shaw doesn't start against lefties. Travis Shaw wasn't great today. Travis Shaw today, two at-bats. One run scored, one walk. So he walked, and he scored. That's really all he did. He had a long fly ball into right field that almost got out of here. But Travis Shaw doesn't start against lefties. Jesus Aguilar barely starts, period. They're two part-time players that are holding roster spots, which should be considered so valuable given that one of them could be used to bring up Keston Hira, who is smashing the living hell out of the baseball right now. And the Brewers lost last night because they were only able to score two runs. I get the Brewers have multiple problems. Their starting pitching hasn't been great. Their bullpen has question marks. But their offense... You inject Keston Hira back into that lineup, and, and by the other side of that sword, you take out Travis Shaw, or you take out Jesus Aguilar, or you take out Aaron Perez, who's been dismal of late, as I shared earlier. There's a little bit of a butterfly effect there. Keston Hira needs to be in this lineup, and I think it's, it's a Brewer-specific way of handling things. I don't know if there's another team in Major League Baseball right now that would be holding Keston Hira in AAA, but David Stearns values organizational depth. Values depth, not only in the majors, but all the way through the minors as well, which makes it even more frustrating when, when Craig Council says things like this. The, the answers have to be found within us. The, the answers have to be found within us. Well, yeah, that's, that's, I thought that was the whole point of organizational depth is so you can call on your minor league, so you can bring players like that up. When your offense is struggling, okay, let's bring Keston up. All right, when our bullpen has been really taxed, all right, let's rotate some of those high-level relievers through to keep them fresh. That's the point of organizational depth, or so I thought. And that's why it's frustrating uh, on top of the logic that they want to get Aguilar and Travis Shaw going and they're willing to bang their head against a wall in the process. That's frustrating enough. But when he says the answers are, we can't look outside for answers. We need to look within. 
Well, yeah, that is within. That's a part of the Brewers organization. And that's why David Stern says organizational depth. We prioritize organizational depth, not just with the Brewers, but in our minor league and our farm system as well. That's why Keston Hira is there. So when you have nights where you can barely get two runs across, you need an inside the park home run to just get that second run. That's when you say, okay, let's go. Keston Hira's hitting the ball. Let's bring him up. God, that's frustrating. You're keeping him in the minors so Jesus Aguilar can pinch hit once every three days. And so Travis Shaw can only start against right-handed batters and be taken out later in the game uh, for a double switch. That's absurd to me. And to say, well, we need to find our answers from within. That is within. It's your, it's your minor league system. And that's why David Stearns prioritizes organizational depth. It's maddening. Get him up. It's ridiculous that he's in, in, in AAA. And when, and when they first sent him down, I thought I was rational. I thought I was reasonable. I said, I understand where they're doing it. They're trying to protect Shaw and Aguilar. They value their major leaguers and they value organizational depth. I understood it, but it has gotten to the point now where I don't understand it anymore. And it's really, really frustrating. Let's switch gears. I want to talk Green Bay Packers. Andy Herman, Cheesehead TV, Pack-A-Day podcast, Green Bay Nation. He is everywhere covering everything green and gold. I've wanted to have him on for weeks and we finally made it happen. He will join us coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, 96.7 FM and 580 AM. Stream us on our mobile app and at WKTYsports.com. Lots of ways to listen, lots of ways to stay connected. Thanks for tuning in. We've been talking brewers, and I've been wanting to do this for weeks. Packers talk has been difficult to come by with as much focus as we put on the Bucks, which is much focus as we put on the Brewers. And our next guest, we'll talk to Andy here in a moment, but I, I reached out uh, a couple of weeks ago, this was maybe more than a month ago now, I said, hey, Andy, I, I would love to have you on, introduce myself, we're in lacrosse, we'd love to talk Packers. He said, okay, well, what day this week would work? And I messaged him back and I said, you know what? I- I'm trying to find a time, I'm trying to find a place to make it work. Andy, we've been talking so much Bucks Brewers, I don't know where to put you. And this is about a month ago now, and finally we got we got connected uh, and we were able to set this up. So Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day podcast, Writes for Cheesehead TV, Green Bay Nation, does a bunch of different things. And it's been kind of a hectic offseason. So I thought uh, no better time than right now when we can kind of cover it all. Andy Herman from Cheesehead TV joining us now on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. Andy, I'm I'm just looking at your Twitter bio. That's how I originally came across your work. Uh, and then I dug a little deeper. But you're doing a million different things. You're working for uh, a bunch of different organizations and different people. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, what your work life is like here before we get started? Yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, you know, my sports writing is, is kind of more of a, a secondary aspect. I, I live out here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and uh, I'm actually in human resources of all things, uh, working for a cell, com- cell phone company called Cellcom in uh, northeast Wisconsin. That's kind of my day job. And then on top of that, I do kind of all this other stuff. So uh, I'm a writer uh, for Cheesehead TV. Uh, I do podcasting through the Pack-A-Day podcast, which I own and distribute and uh, am, of course, a part of as well. Um, and then I'm doing some writing and uh, video work upcoming for the Pro Football Network. They're just kind of getting started. Tony Pauline is joining them. So uh, that's something that you definitely want to check out. You can follow them at PFN365. And then just, you know, doing a lot of uh, video work and uh, breaking down tape and, and, you know, doing tweets on Twitter. You can follow me at Scotty Sports. So it's super crazy. It's kind of all come out of nowhere, and it's been a lot of fun. So I appreciate people like yourself having me on and just getting to talk some Packers. Well, no, it's – and, Andy, it's been crazy – 
I've been talking so much Brewers, so much Bucks. I wanted to have you on a, a couple of weeks back, and I just said we're so busy with the Bucks. I, I don't know where to fit Packers right now. I'm glad we have a little bit of time, but it is the middle of the off season right now, and, and training camp obviously starting in late July. What what's the most pressing story to you about the Packers right now? Like, what should Packers fans be most interested or concerned with? You know, I, to me, it's been a really interesting offseason, right? So you've got, of course, this huge coaching change, uh, tons of new coaches throughout the entirety of the staff. You've got Aaron Rodgers coming back from injury. You have the four huge free agent signings. You've got two top 25 draft picks. There's just, you know, no uh, lack of topics to go over throughout the course of this offseason. And everything's intriguing. Even, you know, second-year guys stepping up, maybe like, a, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scanling and Jair Alexander and, you know, Josh Jackson and just how good those guys are going to be. Can any of them make a second-year leap? Another guy like Oren Burks. You've got a Mike Daniels coming back from injury. There's just so many intriguing aspects to this entire season as a whole. But I think maybe the biggest interest to me is just one, how everything gels together, but two is just you for the first time have real question marks almost everywhere. So, I mean, the the coach is a question mark. It's a brand new head coach who's never been a head coach before at all. You've got Aaron Rodgers for the first time who seemed human, you know, last year at times. There were throws that he never missed that he was throwing at receiver's feet. And for him, human is still ridiculously good, right? It's still one of the top quarterbacks in the league. But when he's Aaron Rodgers, it's a guaranteed playoff spot, right? So he's that good that when he is at his elite level, it's a guaranteed playoff spot. He's that good. And for the first time ever, and maybe it was due to injury or a scale system, just a relationship with McCarthy, but for the first time, really in the Aaron Rodgers era, there's that question of, you know, is he still that elite, elite Aaron Rodgers where it's just a guaranteed playoff spot? And then just you go down the line. Is there a real true number two receiver on this team? You know, can Brian Bulaga stay healthy throughout the course of the season? Can Billy Turner be an adequate upgrade at right guard? You know, can Lane Taylor kind of bounce back from an up-and-down season at left guard? You've got all the new edge rushers. You're, you're Preston Smith. You're Zadarius Smith. You're Rashawn Gary. Can they adequately rush the passer and really fill in for a position that was well below average from a season ago? You have brand-new safeties in Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos. You really have a young cornerback core in Kevin King. Can he stay healthy? Jair Alexander, what has he shown his sophomore year? The, you know, Hopefully a bounce back from Josh Jackson. So you go throughout this entire roster as a whole, and there's just question marks everywhere. And I think a lot of Packer fans, and myself included, are hoping that there are a lot of really good answers to all of those questions, but there's still questions everywhere. And I think that's so intriguing. And to me, you know, it would shock me if this team went anything below six and 10, and it would shock me if they went anything above probably, you know, 12 and four, 13 and three, but really anything between six and 10 and 13 and three, nothing would really surprise me there. And I think that's, what's really so intriguing about this season as a whole, just because of all those question marks and all those unique potential answers to all of them. In one, in a weird way, question marks are kind of fun. I've been thinking about this Packers defense. I don't know if they're going to be any good, but to think of where they were two years ago, the way they've transformed that defense with young talent, I think higher level talent. I'm just excited to watch them play. I- I'm interested. Maybe they'll crash and burn. I-, I don't really know, but I'm just excited to watch. They added two more first round picks, both top 25, like you said. I'm intrigued by Rashawn Gary, especially because he's not going to be pressured to contribute right away. That's an area that they had two free agents and they've had a, a couple lower players as well, like Kyler Fackrell, who knows what he's going to do. I don't think he's going to be pressured to perform. Darnell Savage is really interesting to me because he's a guy who I, I like. I'm excited, but I think it's because they drafted him at a position of dire, dire need. Right. I think that's why I'm intrigued to watch Darnell Savage. Am I too high on their first round safety or, or, or should I be excited to watch him play? Because we've seen them draft 
you know, secondary players before, rookie year can sometimes kind of be really up and down. Yeah, so I think you should be excited, but there should be, you know, a level of caution with that as well. And the reason I say that is this isn't so incredibly different where we're at with Darnell Savage right now and where we were at with Josh Jones just a couple of years back. Yeah. So Josh Jones came into rookie minicamp, and he, he came into the OTAs in minicamp, and he tore it up. And the buzz surrounding him was higher than any draft pick that season. Uh, he was picking up the defense incredibly well from, you know, from all accounts. Um, and then really he started the season and it was like, I think week or two or three of that season uh, was the Bengals game. And he was the best defender on the field that day and just totally tore it up. And then after that, nothing was ever the same ever again with Josh Jones to the point where I legitimately don't think that he'll be on the team come week one this season, unless something drastically turns around. So we, you know, we have these cautionary tales. DJ Williams was another one, a tight end from about eight years ago now, who, again, same thing, was a fourth or fifth round pick, completely tore it up in mini camps before the pads came on. The buzz was astounding, and he really never developed into anything other than a third or fourth level tight end and quickly made his way out of the league. So I think the exciting aspects here is the tape with Darnell Savage is so exciting and so fun. I mean, he is a missile to the football. He is fearless. He has good ball skills, sideline to sideline speed. It's so, so fun. You, you pair that with the fact that Green Bay didn't sit to wait to get the number one safety or their number one safety in this class. They felt strongly enough about Darnell Savage that they were not willing to wait and sit at pick 30 uh, and try to see if he would get there. They aggressively moved up uh, to go up and get him and make him the top safety in this draft. And then you pair that with compliments from Tremont Williams and Devontae Adams. And let's be real here. Tremont Williams and Devontae Adams, these are not two hyperbole machines who are constantly, you know, uh, you know, complimenting players and going out of their way to give compliments to, you know, whoever it may be. So the fact that they kind of went out of their way to say just how good that he has been so far, I think is reassuring as well. So there's a lot to be excited about, but like I said, I think you do have to, you know, just use a little bit of caution with that because until the pads come on, you can never really know for sure. And even, you know, first couple of years, because like I said, you know, when the pads came on for Josh Jones, week two Cincinnati Bengals, he looked fantastic. And then he's never had a game like that again. So uh, it's just going to take some time to really evaluate it and see just how good he can be on the field. I'm just really excited to watch Darnell Savage. I'm excited to watch his defense. I don't know if they'll be any good. I hope they will be. I'm just excited to watch what I think is going to be a really talent-stacked defense. Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day Podcast, Cheesehead TV, uh, Green Bay Nation. He's doing a bunch of different things, and we're happy to have him here on the Five Star Telecom Talking Text Line. I, I got to ask you about the rogers Lafleur story. I really don't know what else to call it. I, I feel like... The big media, the national media, the talking heads turned this into a talking point, kind of used it as a as a, a jumping off point to get back into the Aaron Rodgers and his coach dynamic, which we hadn't really touched for a while. I don't know the Packers fans that I talk to are making a big deal out of this. This kind of just seems routine. What's your take on the Rodgers Lafleur back and forth that, that I think came from that Mike Silver NFL Network article, if I uh, if I remember correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is that everything on you know from what we can see at this point. Everything seems exactly as it should be. It's two uh, really smart people that are still, I think, in the feeling out stages. No, let's just take a look at it on the surface level. Aaron Rodgers legitimately seems rejuvenated. He seems excited. He seems very jovial and happy in the locker room. Um, and, 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 you know, who knows how far that actually goes and who knows what that means when the season starts. But it's a, it's a really good start. Uh, so I think you have that. It, it seems like Matt LaFleur and him have really been on the same page. Everything that I've seen and everything that I have heard has not 
thrown up one single remote red flag at this point. I think what you, when you start, you know, hearing some of these comments, you know, the, the one interview with Rogers where he started saying things like, you know, it would be silly not to use some of my prowess at the line of scrimmage. And obviously I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but you know, it would be silly not to use some of that. There's only a handful of players in the league who can do some of that stuff at the line. And I think he's just, you know, totally being transparent. And I don't think at that point there was any reason to say that Matt LaFleur wasn't giving him that autonomy at the line. And to an extent, it even seems like, you know, he is giving Rodgers some of that leeway at the line of scrimmage still as well. So I think there's going to be probably a little bit of a push-pull there. Um, But I don't think there's been anything that I've seen that is, like I said, thrown up any red flags or would would cause me to pause and say, oh, that that could be a problem. So like you mentioned, I think it's still in that, that feeling out stages. I think everything here is very, very natural. And I, if, if anything, I've been impressed at how the two have seemingly uh, got along. And, and let's let's be real here, too. So I, I think the, the whole aspect with McCarthy and Rodgers, of course there was some buddy in the heads over time, but even, even as recently as after all of this fallout, you know, fallout, McCarthy was very adamant to say that the conversations with Rodgers his entire time were professional, and yes, they butt heads at times, and yes, they had to kind of uh, both maybe check their egos at times and uh, you know all of that, but McCarthy was the one who said, you know, it was nothing but professional. Rogers said the exact same thing. So uh, we still don't know that there was a, a ton of follow-up between McCarthy and Rogers. So I think it is a little bit of national media playing this up. It's a story that constantly gets attention whenever it brought, is, is brought up. But from a, a local standpoint and uh, from just what I've seen, to me, there's, there's no concern or no issue at this point. I think those comments were probably blown up a little bit. You have no idea what tone those were delivered with or in in what context. I I think it's fun to talk about, especially for talking heads that need they need a reason to to start an interesting conversation like that. So so I get why it caught people's eye. I just don't know if it's anything out of the ordinary uh, from what we've normally seen. I wanted to ask you about Aaron Rodgers, Andy, because something that I've noticed and I've talked on my show uh, in past weeks is Aaron Rodgers seems different. I I don't know him. I don't get to talk to him, but just watching in press conferences, which I I do quite a bit and have the last couple of years, he's cracking jokes with reporters. He's going on Game of Thrones rants like he's talking to his friends. I'm seeing a different side of him. I don't know if that translates to performance, but have you noticed a change in demeanor with Aaron Rodgers early this offseason? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, like uh, I said earlier, and kind of as you said just now, you know, how that translates onto the field, there was already the the one note that Geronimo Allison, you know, ran a wrong route in practice and Rogers was, you know, pretty quick to jump on him and, and kind of get after him a little bit. So I don't think you're going to take that competitiveness and that uh, mentality completely out of Aaron Rodgers, nor probably should you want to. Uh, but I agree with you. I think, like I said, he's been, he's been a little bit more jovial. Like you said, there's the, the Game of Thrones rant and it, everything seems to be, you know, kind of clicking and everything seems to just be in a really good spot right now. But uh, as I've kind of noted on the podcast in the past as well, is that everything should be going really well right now. So you have a brand-new head coach, as we talked about before, the two top 25 draft picks. You've got four brand-new free agents. Rodgers is coming back healthy. Um, Like, everything, hope should be springing eternal. Everything should be positive. If there were already massive budding of heads or if there was drama in the locker room already, uh, that would be a major issue and a major red flag. So they're at the point right now where everything should be going as swimmingly and as smoothly as possible. And it seems that way, right? They've got the music going at the practices. Everyone's been great. They had the charity softball game. Like everything's clicking. But at the same token, like I said, it, it should be at this point. And until they get you know, punched in the mouth and they start facing some adversity when the season comes along, 
that's when we're going to see how this Matt LaFleur era responds to those type of things and uh, to see where the, the blame starts to fall and all those sorts of things. That's what's really going to be intriguing once the season starts. No, I agree. I, I think it should be going well right now. They don't really have a reason to be butting heads quite yet. Everything's still so early. Andy, last question for you. If you're Matt LaFleur or Mike Pettin and you're going into training camp here now in, in just about a month, if you can accomplish one thing, if you can preach one message or get one thing down or be assured of of one thing, during training camp before heading into the preseason, what do you need to get done? What do you need to get accomplished if you can only get done one thing? Do you, do you understand what I'm asking? I'm tripping over my words a little absolutely. bit. Do you understand? No, absolutely. Okay. I know exactly what you mean. So I think the easy low-hanging fruit here is on defense. They've got to preach and they've got to figure out a way to get turnovers. That has to be the number one goal going into this season because that was such a huge, huge issue going into last year. And this offense has a brand-new system. And you brought – listen, the defense has no excuses at this point, right? And we kind of touched base on this a little bit earlier. But you have Adrian Amos at one safety, a huge contract. You've got a top 25 pick in your other safety with uh, um, Darnell Savage. You go down this line, you have two second-round picks and a first-round pick at corner. You've got a, you know, Blake Martinez, who is a leader of this defense at this point at inside linebacker, a third-round pick at the other inside linebacker. Your edge rushers are uh, two big free agents that you just signed, a top 15 pick and a third-round pick, Tyler Packrell, who had 10 sacks a season ago. The interior of the defensive line is Mike Daniels, big contract, and Kenny Clark, first-round pick, who is about to get a massive contract. So you go up and down this defense, and it is either established starters huge paid free agents for first or second round draft picks. I mean, throughout the entirety of it. So this defense has no excuses at this point to not be at minimum a top 15, if not a top 10 defense in this league. And that starts by generating pressure up front and getting turnovers on the back end. And they've got guys like Josh Jackson, who has ball skills for days, Jair Alexander, who can attack the football with the best of them. Adrian Amos is going to play a part in that. Darnell Savage is going to play a part in that. But if they can get pressure, they can get turnovers. And I think that's got to be key on defense. For offense, it's just legitimately got to be getting this offense down and making sure that they are in rhythm at all phases, because we know that Aaron Rodgers uh, needs to get in that rhythm for you know from an offensive standpoint. He has to be able to trust his receivers are going to be at the right spots, at the right levels, running the right routes. Because if they don't, uh, then he's not going to trust them, and then he's going to start to improvise and try to take everything on on himself. And then it's going to look like the offense isn't functioning the way that it's supposed to. And it's you know all of the things can kind of spiral from there. So I just think everyone's kind of got to be in the same page rhythmically, that everyone knows where they're supposed to be running those routes. And, of course, there's going to be hiccups anytime you have a new offense. Uh, I think that's going to you know come with the territory. But we have seen teams like Andy Reid when he took over for the Chiefs, like Matt Nagy when he took over for the Bears, Doug Peterson uh, when he took over for the Eagles, Frank Reich when he took over for the Colts. You can overcome a lot of that. There have been some very top offenses and with first-year head coaches, and Matt LaFleur has to figure out a way with one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in football, to do that exact same thing. So turnovers on defense and continuity on offense have got to be the two big things that bring this team together. Andy, you got me excited. You got me pumped up. Now training camp about a month away, and then the preseason and the regular season here before you know it. Summer in Wisconsin just just goes by so fast, but how can you not be excited for this upcoming season? Andy, I love your work. I wanted to get you on, and I'd love to have you back on. Uh, I'm, lacrosse needs to hear from you. They love hearing from you uh, as the season comes around, and, and I'd love to talk Packers again. Thanks for a couple of minutes. You bet. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. Andy Herman, Cheesehead TV, Green Bay Nation. Hack-A-Day podcast. You should, if you don't already, follow him on Twitter, at Scani Sports. 
uh, and see all the awesome content he's cooking out for uh, for multiple entities and for multiple groups that he's a part of. Andy Herman, awesome stuff. Thanks again for a couple of minutes, and thanks for joining us on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. More Packers talk. We'll wrap up the show in a moment here on WKTY. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again to Andy Herman from Cheesehead TV for joining us for just a couple of minutes on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. It wasn't just a couple. Uh, I guess we had them for about 15 minutes. Anytime we get a guest that we're excited to talk to, you don't want to rush through that. You don't want to uh, don't want to rush through an awesome interview, and I hope to have Andy back before too long uh, when the preseason gets underway and stuff like that. Right now, when we sit in the offseason... You know, we we covered a lot of ground, but Andy really emphasizing that defense. And, and it's interesting because so much of the conversation about the Packers the last, uh, let's say, four years has centered around the defense. It's been, we know what we're going to get from Aaron Rodgers. You have a, a receiving core you like, a good offensive line, and a great left tackle. What's the defense going to do? And, and every single year, the expectation is about the same. If you can just be top 15, if if this can just be a top 15 defense and give Aaron Rodgers a chance, this Packers team has a chance to contend. And that's kind of been the the, the, the crux of it for the last four or five years. And, and I, I posed that question to Andy. We're talking about the defense. And Andy took it a step further and said, well, wait a minute. Think about what this defense is. Okay, you finally have a defensive coordinator that you like. People think in Mike Pettin did a good job last year working with uh, some lower talented players, putting places, putting guys in the right place at the right time to succeed. Didn't always make the play, but the coaches can't make the tackle for the players, right? It's about putting them in the right time uh, at the right place. When you think about this Packers defense, you have a first round or a first round pick in Darnell Savage and a high price free agent in Adrian Amos. You have first and second round picks all over that secondary: Josh Jackson, Kevin King, Jair Alexander. Your linebacking core is Oren Burks, who is a third-round pick, if I remember correctly, second or third-round pick. Blake Martinez, who everyone's really high on. And then you you brought in two high-priced free agents at outside linebacker to help with your pass rush. And then you have a defensive line that everybody loves with Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark. This defense should be really good. I, I, I think maybe we need to adjust our expectations adjust what kind of our, our, our baseline is for this Packers defense because, face it, for the last four or five years, the goal was just be top 15. Please, God, just be top 15 so Aaron Rodgers can have a chance. And I think a lot of people have continued that expectation into this year without really taking a moment to think, wait, how talented is this defense? What kind of players do they have on this defense? Because it's probably the best talent they've had in the last four or five years. So should we be adjusting our expectations? Should we be expecting more than just top 15? Dare I say it, top 10? Nearing top five? Now, obviously, that's a long ways out, and we have a lot to learn about this team, as does every team in the NFL at this point in the offseason. But I I think you can have a lot higher expectations and and have a lot higher hopes this year because, as Andy said, you just run through every player on this team, on this defense. They're all high draft picks free agents that the Packers selected in this last free agency cycle and in March or in April, whenever that goes down, they've really invested in this defense. I think that's the best way to put it, a generic term, invested high draft picks, invested free agent money, invested time in developing some of these players who maybe weren't drafted high and weren't brought in, but you found something and you put the time and the energy to developing these players. I, I There's a lot of talent on that defense. And when I asked Andy, what's the one thing you got to get figured out during training camp? You need to get this defense right. Because if this defense can't be good, 
If this defense can't give Aaron Rodgers a chance, then I, I don't I don't know what defense could. A lot of first, second round picks, a lot of expensive free agents, a defensive coordinator that you like, who's experienced both as a head coach and a coordinator in multiple systems and multiple coaching staffs. This is the year because if it doesn't happen this year. I, I'm with Andy. I, I really don't know when it would happen. I don't know how you can invest more into a defense than the Packers have in the last couple of years. One show tomorrow, same time, same place to wrap up the week. We'll speak before the weekend starts. I can't wait. Tomorrow. Talk to you then.